Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. And you are on Bay FM, and it's 9.58 on Future Sense with myself, Nick Jeans, and Steve McDonald. Let us launch into, uh, where are we going to start with this? Second tier part today. two. So yeah. um, in, and, and we're going to refer back to Claire Graves' research here, and uh, as uh, you, may, you may not know, you may know um, that Claire Graves never published his research academically. He uh, did about nine years of data gathering in a field study of 1,065 people and then analysed that data uh, pretty much for the rest of his life, um, you know, which I, I think uh, he died roughly about 86. 20, 25 years after he finished his field mm. data gathering. In 1986, uh, he passed away, and um, consequently, his stuff was never published academically, so it, it hasn't sort of received that peer-reviewed journal publishing stamp of approval that mm. the academic world demands. However, he did have his own peer review process built into his research, and he had seven of his colleagues that he used to give his data to and ask them, without giving them any direction really, just ask them to let him know what they could find in the data. Um, and uh, I think it's worth its weight in gold, to be honest, his work. Um, and of those 1,065 people, only a very, very small percentage start to, started to poke into uh, what he called the second tier of consciousness. So he mapped six uh, stages, as he called them. We call them layers because they're actually wrapped inside each other. Um, in the first tier of consciousness, ranging from hunter-gatherer through tribal to warlike, egocentric to uh, authoritarian, agricultural, and then modern, scientific, industrial, and now the emerging uh, postmodern, humanistic, network-centric. They are the sixth, they're the sixth layers in the first tier, and there is a massive change that occurs after those six roll out. And, of course, he found a small percentage of people who, who had um, value systems and consciousness that was ahead of the, the pack mm. back in the 1950s and early 60s. And uh, he managed to map the seventh layer, so the first step into the second tier. Uh, and I, I did find a, a reference to 7%, which is roughly <laughs> about 74 people out of 1,065 mm. uh, who started to show tendencies of this seventh way of being human. And then uh, a far much smaller percentage, only six out of 1,065, who then seemed to change beyond that into the eighth layer. Um, but uh, he, Graves said that um, his information on that was speculative only and there weren't enough people, obviously, to do any systemic studies of them or their values. So um, it, it, it's basically where we fall off the map. And what we're going to do for the rest of this show is uh, talk over a little bit more about the seventh layer and then push into the eighth layer and into no man's land, uh, you know, speculation of our own uh, based on the, the bits and pieces that we can gather together. Because Graves' model was a never-ending quest, to, to quote the book that was uh, written a little later by um, um, 
yes, uh, Christopher Cowan, Cowan and, and Natasha uh, Tidavorov. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that that notion that there there is no end point that he could he could perceive in this, uh, no. this spiralling process. Yeah, that, that's right. And it stands in contrast to the work of Abraham Maslow, who mm-hmm. anyone who studied psychology would probably have heard of Abraham Maslow, who was quite famous for what he called his hierarchy of human needs, yeah. um, which was essentially a developmental scale, uh, and he arranged it in a pyramid shape. Mm. And uh, so it had a pinnacle, and it was like, you know, the whole of human evolution was working towards this pinnacle to, yeah. to arrive at this end point. Um, and even Maslow himself, in his later years, he did actually put a sixth uh, layer, I think, uh, on his, his pyramid. But um, He sort of deferred, because they were contemporaries, he sort of deferred to Gray's at near the end of his life and said that Gray's model was actually much more sophisticated than his, I think, or something to that effect. Did he? Uh, yeah, I can't I think so, yeah, I read of, that somewhere. Out of the air. But yeah. That's, a, yeah, that's good. Um, so uh, Graves is working in this context, you know, where there there was really no um, concept of an open-ended system in terms of human development at the time that he started his research, but his data, uh, you know, made him... He, he said he had no choice, but to, if he was going to um, report what the data said, then this is basically what he said. And he's quite famous. One of, one of his... Um, speeches and I think it might have been his, his main public announcement of his model uh, which he had this really long name for but it's it's been shortened to um, the uh, emergent cyclical levels of existence theory or ECLETS uh, and his original name was even longer than that but he said during this talk, you know, I, sti- I didn't stand on the mountain uh, like Jehovah and receive this information, you know, it was actually the result of me crunching all the data and this is what the data says which is fascinating too, just in that idea that there is no end point, because of course in those expressions, like in the religions, in from that layer, and in, indeed in Eastern religions, that notion of enlightenment, that there, in some senses, and the notion that there is an end point, mm. and that's sort of contested by this model, isn't it? In that, in when, it, when we reach the second tier, it is. I mean, the basic premise that he's come up with is that uh, the emergence of human consciousness, of, of higher or more complex human mm. consciousness, is uh, the result of a dance between life conditions yes. and the adaptive emergent nature of human consciousness and he he described that as a a double helix much like the dna structure and uh, as life conditions become more complex then human consciousness will adapt and new layers more complex layers of human consciousness will emerge in order to be able to solve the more complex problems that and literally uh, he, he referred to this even as early as as the 50s and 60s and 70s into the neurobiological changes the neuroplasticity in a way i guess he yes. was referring to without he that did. term without that term actually being present at that time well he was way ahead of his time and yeah. You know, he, he uh, did cross-referencing of his work with uh, leading-edge research in biology, actually looking at physical brain tissue and the structures within the physical brain tissue, and then, you know, theorising that as people um, changed and started to think in these new ways, these more complex ways, that there was an actual reconfiguration of the brain tissue, uh, you know, as well as the, the um, reconfiguration of, of psychological processes. Yeah according to that so uh, life conditions is the key driver this is a really important thing to understand here and life conditions uh, is really an all-encompassing term and it refers to both physical life conditions mm. and non-physical life conditions mm. um, so in other words all of our 
um, psychological world, our aspects, which includes our history and, and the influence of our, our psychological history on us, uh, contributes to our life conditions now in, yeah. the, in the present moment. We are a result of, of all of that and um, our behavior is shaped by our, our physical life conditions and our metaphysical or, or spiritual it's life conditions. It's very important this because people will often consider, because we're still firmly embedded, I guess, in, in the multiplistic layer uh, in society dominant, that uh, that life conditions refer to material conditions, to, to really good, rich material conditions. But I'm th- I think of people like Nelson Mandela, who was in jail for so long, he clearly evolved his thinking in some way uh, yeah. in, in that restrained life conditions of being imprisoned, and that's not the only case of such things. So it's not just about, as you're saying, it's not just about the physical life conditions, though they are very important too. No, and a- another important factor is that the development is... Uh, what unfolds in a consecutive nature so you can't leap ahead and suddenly change from for example layer three to layer six it doesn't work like that you can have a peak experience in an altered state of consciousness of what it's like to to, you know think at um, or experience the complexity of a higher layer but only as a peak experience Um, and then in terms of your development and your stabilized everyday behavior you've got to you've got to go step by step through the process and integrate as you go along or integrate at some point those those layers those steps yeah so it's interesting while we're talking about this dynamic to think about the emergence of the current postmodern layer six and look back to the 1960s and 70s and when there was a wave of that emerging which gave rise to all of the the, um, revolutions psychedelic revolutions the revolutions against politics Vietnam War yeah the flower power revolution all that kind of stuff black rights and you can look back and you can see that the way the way of thinking is similar to what we're seeing unfold Mm. now and a lot of people are actually saying that we're in the second 60s now yes uh, and we're having another psychedelic uh, you know revolution and those sorts of things Um, so it's but, but you can't compare the physical uh, expression of the value system in the 60s to what we're seeing now because the material is different. Very different. The technology we have is different, yeah. you know. And back in the 60s, there was no internet, mm-hmm. which is like a scaffolding that's holding it up now, holding the new, this value system up these days. They didn't have that back then, and that's why it was so easy for the dominant uh, scientific industrial paradigm, um, and, and you know, which was also still quite influenced by the old authoritarian ways as well to stamp it out yeah, back to, in the 60s to, to and get 70s. get on top. Yeah, yeah to dominate. Yeah. Um, but now that we've got material changes backing up the the metaphysical or psychological changes and, mm. and psychological changes, uh, we're seeing that the expression of this new value set is looking like it's going to be much more persistent. And and I my, my um, belief, my estimation is that this time it won't be stamped out. No. You know, the, there's, no, there's not sufficient... Uh, um, energy left in the old paradigm and, and it doesn't have the means to stamp it out because of, yeah. of the technology. And it's been seen through for what it is. It's been seen through as manipulative and, and uh, lying, cheating and and downright uh, criminal in some cases. That's right and largely because of social media technology. Yeah. yeah, yes. yeah. So uh, it's important just to remember that life conditions is the driver and for that reason as we start to talk about these uh, second tiered layers, um, so the, the integral or uh, uh, yellow is the, the colour code from the Small Dynamics book. Um, and then turquoise, uh, layer 8, 
which we'll push into shortly. Um, just remember that what we're seeing now is not a mature expression of these things because we're, it, it's mostly the expression now is mostly driven by uh, metaphysical changes. Mm. So, so, you know, psychological, non-material changes in human consciousness and not supported by the kind of technology which, you know, we can expect to see as the numbers of people roll out and the, and the physical material world starts to change to fit with these new value systems. Mm. Yes. Yes. So um, let's uh, let's just quickly go uh, through layer seven, which we mentioned in a previous episode, and uh, there's there's so much information wrapped up in these topics that it's mm. you know it's there's some more to say that we didn't say in the earlier episode. So um, for those who might not have listened, just briefly, this this uh, seventh layer of um, human consciousness, human values. Um, involves a massive leap forward in our coping capacity so mm. the the reason that graves classified what he found in his data into sets of six as the first tier of six and then what looked like a second set of six that was unfolding and that he assumed that it would be six it may not be we don't yeah. know um is this the difference between uh, layer six and layer seven was um radically uh Larger than the difference between all of the preceding systems as they unfold, and we saw what is effectively a quantum, a quantum yes, leap, an exponential leap, an exponential leap in coping capacity, capacity mm. between six and seven, mm. and a, a very large aspect of that is this pushing into uh, a wider awareness of interdimensional reality that comes, and that uh, teases out. Uh, a different dimension, particularly a, a vertical dimension of reality, um, which is not evident to people who are looking at life through the first any of the first six layers, mm. and, and particularly if we look at uh, layer six, which is just emerging now, you know, on a, on a wider scale, um, it tends to expand on the capacities of the previous fifth layer, the scientific industrial, by, um, first of all, a networked configuration. So whereas the, the fifth layer is really looking at the world from a fixed vantage point, mm. um, the emergence of six allows us to move that vantage point around and take different perspectives. So within our own mind, mm. to actually put ourselves in someone else's shoes and and understand at a very deep level what that perspective is like on life in, in general. Mm. And um, the networked configuration of layer six also um, provides a pool of perspectives and a pool of brain power, mm. um, you know, a pool of humanity that can uh, bring together mm. you know, all of its information, compare the information, and, uh, and then act as a, a synchronized network. And we're seeing a good example of this playing out in the Extinction Rebellion protests. Yes. In the UK, one of the media reports said that there doesn't really seem to be any clear leadership mm. in this movement. Well, they said that about Occupy too, that movement, which is, was a, arguably an earlier generation of a few years ago, yeah. uh, because they, they had no and they were criticised for actually not having a political agenda. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. they, I think they also had contests within their own structure regarding this because people within these organisations, as you said earlier, have different value systems. Often often they're coming from different places. Yeah. Uh, so the, 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 there was quite a challenge for them to not have a, a direct and specific political agenda, agenda as, as the 99%. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see if Extinction Rebellion, well, they've, they've got those demands we were talking about earlier, so it's a bit more specifically political, I guess you could argue. 
It's, it's, it's um, certainly driven by values. Um, mm. You know, the, it's tricky using words like political because political politics changes depending on which um, value system it's expressed through. And so the politics of layer six is going to be quite different to the politics of layer five, which which uh, is, mm. you know, all of the individual systems are hierarchical yes. to some extent. Yeah. Uh, whereas you've got a, a level playing field, uh, communal and networked emerging in six. Um, so it's it's useful though to refer to uh, the scientific industrial fifth layer and this uh, humanistic network centric sixth layer, and then look at the seventh and eighth as higher harmonic expressions of these, because the themes are usually quite similar. Mm. It's just that the complexity is greater, um, and there are you know the various aspects of human consciousness that expand uh, in the high levels, obviously. So mm-hmm. in seven, um, we've got some a couple of really significant things happen during this quantum leap from six to seven. And one of them is that the um, role of fear in human behaviour really subsides dramatically. And it's not that people in the second tier of consciousness don't feel fear or experience fear. It's just that it's not a major driver of behaviour, whereas it is in the the first uh, tier of, of six. Yes. Yes, as it says in this piece here, not motivated, layer seven, by fear of survival, God another one, Q1, or social approval, guilt, and reward motivators don't work as, as much anymore. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big thing. The other thing that falls away is this rejection of different value systems. So mm-hmm. even though through the first tier we're seeing the emergence of more complex and more capable ways of being human with each step forward through the layers, um, there's still this built-in resistance to anyone that has different values than, than me, right, if, depending on which value system I'm looking from. Mm-hmm. And so we get this automatic rejection factor, and we're seeing it play out very, very strongly now. Uh, and it's really, you know, the root cause of these uh, rebellions or yeah. protests that are going on is that people are looking back to the old uh, paradigm and they're saying, that's not good, we have to get rid of it, yeah. and we, we have to change radically. Yeah. And so that dynamic... Uh, also dies away in the second tier and it's important to keep these things in mind because we as as we look at the transition from layer seven to layer eight we have to factor this in and we have to understand that the change dynamic itself is going to be quite different and also you're going to get um, a a much more um, or rapid growth of capacity in the second tier because uh, if we look at this example of the modern scientific transitioning now to the to the network centric humanistic we there is a great uh, um, motivation to throw the baby out with the bathwater as we transition yeah. right let's get rid of all that industry for yeah, example yeah. is one of the things that's being touted whereas you won't see that in the second tier in the transition from um, integral uh, yellow layer seven to uh, the eighth layer turquoise in the spiral dynamics color code you're not going to see turquoise wanting to throw out integral right that dynamic won't be there and there will be no fear of um you know seven pulling eight down those dynamics are just not going to be there and what that means is that the the compounding uh impact of this this extended capacity of eight being added to seven is going to flow much more smoothly and it's and it's going to be much more powerful so so the change dynamic in the second tier um is is a much more a much smoother uh, unobstructed transition process than we've had in the first tier Mm. Some of the other words that are used to describe uh, layer seven, as you're talking about, uh, uh, the demand of flexibility, of autonomy, accepting paradoxes and uncertainties, which I think is a really big one, Um, self-interest without harm to others, curiosity, 
learning from a variety of sources, contextual thinking, can see things but not always be able to explain them, great awareness of what they do and don't understand, and so on. There's a few other points there. Some good ones. The paradox of uncertainty thing I think is really important at this time because a lot of people really are faced with, uh, certainly with uncertainty, and many people are starting to use the word paradox even in one of our texts there earlier, the notion that we are faced with a lot of paradoxes of being now. We are too, yeah. and in the first year, we've never really been able to make sense of paradox or work with yeah. it. You know, it's a we're, we've always been sort of locked into this either-or choice. Yeah. Uh, whereas the integral uh, seventh layer is for the first time allowing our two hemispheres, our two brain hemispheres, to interact in a much freer way. Um, and it's almost as if we can think from both hemispheres at the mm. same time. It really is that. Whereas in the, and this is the, the, the hemispherical uh, nature of the brain is the reason why we see this alternation as we go through the layers between individual and collective because the individual layers or paradigms are essentially left brain dominated. Yeah. Uh, and, and so they tend to be um, sort of focused on the material, focused on the detail, uh, focused on the individual perspective. Yeah. And whereas the communal are uh, dominated by the right brain, so it's you know, the boundaries blur things, uh, you know, are much apparent, more apparent uh, in their interconnection, uh, and we can we can work from that sort of um, composite networked uh, approach much better. And so this the same dynamic still applies in the second tier. So uh, the seventh layer or yellow is still individualistic. So it's good. It's important to keep that in mind. So even though we've made this quantum leaping capacity into the second tier, I, I liken it, and Graves likened it in his uh, research notes, to the hunter-gatherer stage of being human. It was the first step into the human realm yeah. out of whatever we were beforehand, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it really is a baby step. You've got to you've got to think about even though from you know from this perspective at this time in history, looking at the first step into second tier seems amazing, and it seems like a quantum leap. Well into the future, when we look back at it, we're going to look at layer seven as our first second tier layer and say, "Wow, that was really pretty primitive, wasn't it?" In, you know, compared to what we are now. Uh, you, uh, one of the expressions of that, as you're, as you're speaking, I'm thinking because one of the qualities of the second tier is the capacity uh, from layer seven to uh, to be able to meet and uh, to enact with the other layers so that if someone's coming you meet someone you're dealing with them in some way either from layer four or five or three or wherever you have a capacity from seven onwards to actually meet those other people where they're at to some degree and I think that that as you're speaking I think well that's really almost the absolute necessity for that first step into the new uh, yes. the new spiral is to be able to actually to have access and meet Everybody, wherever they're at, in that's some right. Sense or other. And and this this enables what I call a true compassion. You know, c- compassion in layer six is is almost something that's that that teachers are trying to force onto you and saying that you must be right. Um, so it's it's mm. it sort of um, presents as something that has to be sort of taken on board, yes. and, and you have to you know force your behaviour to change to be compassionate. Virtue, virtue signalling, you, you could say well, well, to some degree. Virtue signalling is, is a little bit is, different. Is, is more a poker player's uh, bluff, really. You know, it's virtue signalling something that the fifth layer does. It's like you know signalling that no, I've only got like a, you know 
um, really bad hand of cards here, um, but actually I'm bluffing. <laughs> it's not true. Um, well, no, well, I mean, I mean, the term virtue signal, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. we'll have to look it up, yeah. actually means that these are the values, these are the virtues that you should be having because they're the better values. And that seems to be what Layer 6 talks about, and it's not the only layer that talks from that perspective, but we have the new, the new values and they're better values, and uh, we're going to tell you how you should think about these things yeah okay uh, well, I, and maybe maybe um, I'm wrong there in terms of uh, the definition of virtue, virtue signaling but I, I thought it was more like a bluff like a, a greenwashing kind of approach yeah. but you can look at it I'm yeah, I get that. Cool. yeah 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 um, so in the seventh layer we've got this uh, transparency I guess a a, a um, a capacity to directly sense and read the frequencies of the different value systems. So when we encounter somebody, their value system becomes readily apparent and readable. And and there are there are sensory perceptions which are opening up here, which which to my, the best of my knowledge, no one has really mapped in a in a, in a rigorous scientific way. But uh, all I can say is that we have the capacity to read where someone's at, and so we can, if we you know have a, a mental model like, for example, Graves' stuff, we can position them within that model through our direct experience. Mm. And um, we also have the capacity to understand the usefulness and the reasons in an evolutionary sense for the emergence of all these layers of value systems. I mean, each value system is an evolutionary solution to a set of life condition problems, okay? So um, we're, we move beyond this moralistic judgment of good values and bad values, for yeah. example, and that we're seeing still at the moment with the emergence of six. So, you know, the modern scientific industrial values are bad, our, value, our new values are good. Um, so we're beyond that once we move properly into uh, second tier. And, and from seven, we're reading the values, but we, we appreciate that these values are simply solution sets which have emerged, uh, you know, which play out in, in uh, human motivations and behavior. Mm-hmm. And we have the capacity, which you might describe as a kind of shape-shifting capacity to meet somebody at their own frequency. And so when we meet somebody and we read their values, then we can, if we wish, we can speak to them from their value set and from their language. And this actually makes it quite difficult to spot second-tier intelligence um, in the everyday world because you might run into somebody who's just meeting you where you are, you know. And, uh, and Graves did this in his research. He, he brought people who had showed up with these second-tier layer seven values, put them in groups in, in room, you know, constructed social settings, and looked at how the other people from different value sets regarded the second-tier yes. person. Yes. And, and and what he wrote was that they generally thought that they were okay, maybe a little bit unusual or something, Strange, but, yeah. they were, but they were accepted. A little eccentric, but... They, yeah. they were accepted. They weren't rejected, yeah. you know, and that was yes. that was because they were able to meet these other people where they're at, whereas two different uh, people with, with first-tier values from different layers are generally going to, once they start to talk and get down to sort of deeper understandings of each other, they're going to reject each other's values. That's yeah. just a built-in instinctive thing. 
Indeed, we'll have to take a little break here uh, for a couple of things. For BFM, you are tuned to Future Sense with uh, Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. And by the way, just quickly though, virtue signalling is a pejorative for the conspicuous expression of moral values. Academically, the phrase refers to signalling theory to describe a subset of social behaviours that could be used to signal virtue especially piety among the religious, that's an obvious place. But yeah. it is a term that's been used quite a lot with regards to things like the Me Too movement it and is. some others as a sort of excessive uh, you know, uh, um, pushing of certain values, whether they, you know, we might agree with them, but the, that excessive... Uh, yeah, so I think based on that description, we're both right because it could, they could play out in either way. They could play they out in, in like you know a projection sense where someone they're not really someone's values, but they're projecting their problems onto you by saying that you should be different. Yeah. And uh, also, I just remember, before we take the little break here um, someone else has written a couple of things here just tuned in the 60s were the dawning of the age of Aquarius now we are in the age of Aquarius I'm up in Yapoon hello Western Australia and great to be able to tune into you thanks Julia Gee, you went somewhere quickly. No, different Julia. Um, <laughs> so that's great, isn't it? That's uh, wonderful that someone's listening over there. And yes, we were talking about it. It is a, uh, it is a resonance, you could say, 50 years on uh, with the Age of Aquarius uh, movement, so to speak, in the 60s and early 70s. It is great. I did a, lot, a bit of flying up around Yapoon, Shoalwater Bay there in my day. Lovely spot. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. Thanks for your text. Uh, one that's uh, definitely contesting. We are happy to receive your alternate views. Uh, someone has written and said, why are you so in love with this model? You start discussions with compelling topics, yet too often gravitate to referencing the same model, which has nothing to excite our intelligence and is a little boring to listen to. Get your hand off it. Thanks for that. That's a really useful text because it's a great example of the rejection factor that we see in the first tier of consciousness from particular value sets. And and as a, a very, and, and here I am talking about the model to answer your question, but I hope you'll find some value in this. And some humour. Is, is this model, uh, you know, and, and it's not just the model, but anything that we discuss as humans will bring our values to the surface and, and show us what we like and what we don't like. And, and in understanding what we like and what we don't like, we can also understand and uh, our own growth process, our progress in terms of our development, and also what's next in our development. And so it's quite natural for people who are in communal value sets to reject structured things because the communal value sets tend to dissolve boundaries mm -hmm. and they think, and, and it's a very right brain process, whereas structured models are a very left brain process. So anybody who is growing through and operating in an individual value set will find structured models quite valuable. And, and the opposite occurs, and here's a great example of, yeah. of from you know, this text is from somebody who's clearly uh, right brain oriented um, in the first tier because there's a strong rejection there and uh, and, and favouring boundaryless discussions, you know, rather than, than rigid discussions, which are more uh, left brain oriented. But so it's a great example. But mm. we're um, we're really. Um, chewing through the time here it's such an interesting topic isn't it and we need to move into uh, talking about this layer eight uh, and what is a communal oriented value system and so somewhat boundaryless in nature so i hope our, our listener will enjoy this part of the show a little bit more than the, the structured part and so uh, thanks for listening anyway please yeah, thanks for listening. please keep listening and and the, your contributions are really valuable yeah, no i, I just want to say that even whether we you know we might seem to disagree with them but we, we're not we're just pointing out um, the uh, the underlying dynamics, and so um, 
to to take us from layer seven into layer eight now, so it's uh, the integral, uh, individually oriented first step into the second tier and through to eight, which is now moving into a communally oriented um, system, which we really have scant information on from the, the data that Claire Graves collected. Uh, and he said himself, he really didn't have enough data to make a proper analysis of it. But we have other evidence um, from mostly from the direct experience of people who have had peak experiences in altered states, uh, which may be from this eighth layer and beyond. And so we are kind of falling off the map a little bit and uh, don't hold us too tightly to what we might say here because this is really an exploratory discussion uh, in many respects. Mm. And so um, I said before that um, yellow is still quite individually oriented because it's a first step into the second tier. It's only, it's really a baby step into the transrational space. In the transrational space, we're, we're beyond the rational mind. But remember that this is a layered arrangement. So we're not discarding the rational mind. Mm that the, our, our emotions and instincts and all those important signaling systems that we have are still at the core of our being. It's still wrapped by this rational layer, which is brings in the power of the rational mind, left brain and right brain, and all the, the different analysis and dissolving of boundaries that's possible um, with that. And then now we're laying uh, the transrational zone on top of that, which is opening up an interdimensional awareness, which is allowing us to pull knowledge directly out of somewhere else in a metaphysical sense and it's it's actually hard to find language for these metaphysical processes because our language that is developed during the modern scientific industrial era has been strongly biased against uh, non-physical aspects of reality and also um, and and biased against right brain processes mm. and this is why uh, the feminine in general has been suppressed during that era um, you know artists and everybody who, who tries to live according to the right brain have found it very very difficult to live within social systems that have been designed by a left brain system and and consequently our language also has been shaped and so um, terms like immaterial for example which just means not material have developed a, a definition of meaning worthless. You know, you look immaterial up in the dictionary um, and um, we are, um, and, and it basically says worthless, you know, which, which actually it can be defined differently. So well, I'm going to use the term metaphysical as, a, as I just talk here about uh, layer eight to refer to things that aren't physical. So experiences that we can have of non-material reality as humans. And so as we transition out of uh, the eight, the seventh into eighth, um, we, if I can also situate this um, at a future time in history, and if we look at the pattern of civilization and how human behavior is changing as we uh, move through the dominance of these different layers with, with our, our um, dominant global paradigm currently situated in transition between the scientific industrial and the emergent uh, human network centric, pushing forward and imagining what the world will be like as these higher level or, or um, if you don't like the hierarchical description, these more complex layers in second tier become dominant. What we're going to see is that as 
the, the sixth layer plays out, and we can see this happening already in the world, um, we're going to see an increasing amount of chaos as the old scientific industrial ways are rejected and there's strong social movements wanting to dismantle the industrialised societies and those sorts of, sorts of things. It's going to create quite a degree of chaos. And while uh, the sixth layer is much more capable than the fifth, um, it's not going to be able to really bring a level of global stability that we've been used to and part of the reason for that is because of the level playing field aspect of six and its incapacity to really see the deeper cause and effect process which which only really becomes evident when we transition into seven and we start to be able to see the different value systems which are really the prime causes of many of the different conflicts and issues that we face on the planet so seven's role is going to be uh, solving those problems essentially it's going to look at the world and it's going to say okay we can see what's driving all this conflict and all these disagreements and why people can't live together here there and everywhere uh, and we we actually know what the solutions are the solutions are to start to redesign the world with an appreciation of different value sets yes. and and also the relationship between value sets and the complexity of life conditions and so what seven will do in a in a kind of a first responder way um, it will arrive at the train wreck of the, you know, triage. The first, the end of global the triage of uh, human consciousness to say, right, we need to fix this. Let's work on the most important things first, and let's redesign the life conditions so that people's behaviour will shift, and and we're going to have um, a much better world, better uh, resourced world, and people will have access to the basic human needs that uh, that are required mm. uh, within their local life conditions. And that's one of the big problems at the moment is that people don't have access to basic human needs in many parts of the world and yeah. constantly it's causing all sorts of problems. And so um, as the world, as those problems start to be solved, then the next big requirement on a global level is to bring global stability. And stability uh, comes mostly from the communal systems because they require conformity or they, or they generate conformity, I, I should say. Yes. Um, and so turquoise will be generating global level conformity. Um, and um, that is, is a, a massive aspiration by the postmodern movement. You know, it's really what they're trying to bring now, but they they are going to successfully shift, it in, shift us into more complex and capable ways of operating, but they're not going to bring the global stability that they really want that's only going to come from the emergence of turquoise in the second tier. Uh, and, and so um, some of the driving values that were evident from Graves's research even though he had a very small sample set um, he said that people in that are exhibiting this uh, eight layer set of values um, they value things like wonder and awe mm. and reverence mm. and humility and fusion that's a wonderful right yeah. brain term there isn't it integration unity simplicity and minimalism is a big theme yes minimalism yeah you know what's the what's the minimum i really need to live yes, comfortably yeah, yeah. you know um uh the poetic perception of reality mm -hmm, and i mm -hmm. think you've got a poem there for us in a minute I do. Let, let me just finish this mm, sentence. Of course. Uh, a non-interfering perception versus an active controlling perception and and mm. you know that's an interesting collection of words right there so what we're going to see is turquoise is actually going to successfully bring global stability but it's not going to do it in what is seen as an interfering way because it understands these unseen dynamics so well it will 
build upon what Seven has done to subtly tweak life conditions so that people feel comfortable and satisfied within their local life conditions and they have everything that they need. And and so it's, it's kind of a reflection of this deep Taoist concept of action through inaction. So there is action, but it's unseen action. Uh, and and so is not uh, so obvious. Um, enlarging consciousness is another value, mm. uh, and they also value the ineffable experience. Mm. And this is a, a product of human consciousness pushing further into the metaphysical realms mm. in a more complex way. Mm. Yes, there's a poem by D. H. Lawrence. It's interesting, of course, because D. H. Lawrence, I think, died around 1930, so he wrote this easily, uh, probably 100 years ago. It's called Terra Incognita. It's quoted in some of the uh, the, the texts around uh, Layer 8 uh, in uh, the turquoise level in Graves' work. And it goes like this. It's quite short. There are vast realms of consciousness still undreamed of, vast ranges of experience, like the humming of unseen harps we know nothing of within us. Oh, when man has escaped from the barbed wire entanglement of his own ideas and his own mechanical devices, there is a marvellous rich world of contact and sheer fluid beauty and fearless face-to-face awareness of now naked life and me and you and other men and women and grapes and ghouls and ghosts and green moonlight and ruddy orange limbs stirring the limbo of the unknown air and eyes so soft, softer than the space between the stars, and all things, and nothing, and being and not being, alternately palpitant, when at last we escape the barbed wire enclosure of know thyself, knowing we can never know, we can but touch and wonder and ponder and make our effort and dangle in a last fastidious fine delight as the fuchsia does, dangling her reckless drop of purple after so much putting forth and the slow mounting marvel of a little tree. It's quite beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm. it is indeed. And so uh, some other things uh, that Graves wrote about this value set expressed by a very small number of people uh, in his study. Um, We said uh, minimal living, so less is more. That that seemed to be expressed quite strongly by them. They practice experiential spirituality based on direct sensing. So yeah. it's it's no longer um, you know getting a dogma from some other source. It's it's all about your own direct experience. And it's again it's problematic talking about this because the way that we've been conditioned through uh, modern society to to think about religion and spirituality gives it a very separate feel as if almost as if it's not so much a part of everyday life but it's something that we do on Sundays or Saturdays Um, and what we're seeing in this evolutionary progression is uh, a gradual integration of the metaphysical into everyday life simply because our sensory awareness is expanding and we are more aware moment to moment of the existence of um, non-material things mm. and, and the role that they're playing in, in our everyday life. And so um, the the nature of spirituality um, is changing and we're seeing this interweaving, this meeting, 
this nexus of science and spirituality. And I think um, I've mentioned once in, in a previous episode, uh, Nassim Haramein yeah. is quoted as saying, you know, um, spirituality is really just science we don't understand yet. Um, and and so we're gonna we're gonna eventually come to this place where there's no difference, there's no distinction between science and spirituality. You know, science has been our attempt to try and understand why the world is the way it is and the nature of things. And um, as we as we get a greater understanding, a direct experiential understanding of the nature of metaphysical reality, uh, then that will be interwoven with everything, and and that distinction will disappear. Um, and and what this looks like at this time in history, when other people observe people that are uh, expressing this high, um, more complex value set, is it looks like um, they're more spiritual. And Graves, Graves wrote, I think, in, to quote him, he wrote almost spiritual uh, in, in nature. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, but, but certainly deeply intuitive and deeply tapped into the metaphysical and, and reading the, the currents there. Mm. Welcome back to Future Sense. And uh, we're just exploring the outer reaches of human consciousness here. And uh, I've been discussing the value sets associated with second-tier consciousness and particularly the, the eighth layer, according to uh, Claire Grace's research, which is really the end of the map in terms of of uh, really most of the models that are, that are available. I'm not aware of any anything that goes beyond this at the moment that's been scientifically documented. So um, we're seeing this general trajectory in second-tier consciousness that's taking us further into, the, into metaphysical awareness. And um, there, you know, if we look at, I mean, if we're very open-minded about this and we put aside all of our uh, tendencies to reject different sources uh, and means of knowing, then there's a, a lot of evidence out there, metaphysical evidence, that's suggesting that as consciousness um, expands and evolves, that it moves further into the metaphysical and perhaps even to the point where uh, we exist in a purely metaphysical way beyond a physical body and and if we look at even our religions basically also point to this when they talk about coming you know coming down mm -hmm. into physical existence or ascending back up again or ascending back up again yeah. into heaven and those sorts of things so there are many many different uh, sources which are supporting this concept that we're evolving into metaphysical existence beyond the physical existence mm. and that this this earthly realm that we're in at the moment is just a, a way station on that journey and so this eighth layer is taking further taking us further into that metaphysical space awareness of meta metaphysical uh, reality and uh, operating in a transrational way so as uh, the seventh layer brought us to the integration of left right brain so uh, whereas in the first tier we've been sort of swapping and flopping between left and right uh, alternation in seven we're bringing both hemispheres of the brain together to, to give us a greater coping capacity and in eight what what then happens is we start to integrate brains so rather than integrating our left and right hemisphere we're integrating your brain and my brain yes and we have an expanded brain space mm. uh, and um, I have to declare that I've had some direct experience of this mm. in uh, selected altered state uh, sessions that I've um, had over the years of this merger mind merger I'm sure that our other listeners out there have had this experience as well yeah, you, like to, you like to use the word mesh which is quite a good word yeah I think yeah the meshing the yeah. meshing of, of yeah. brains uh, by two or more humans and it, it's a it's a curious experience and uh, quite hard to put into words but mm. if you if you just sit for a moment and notice 
the spaciousness of your mind and just try and feel out the boundaries of your mind and then imagine for a moment what it's like sitting with someone else and having that boundary expand to include your mind and their mind and one of the things that that gives access to is what we know as telepathy and of course almost everybody has at one point or other had some kind of intimation or some kind of experience like this driven by some kind of uh, extrasensory experience of one type or other um, possibly instigated by all sorts of things could may just happen automatically to just know what someone's thinking that you're close yeah, to yeah absolutely I've, I've even got a friend who once had the, the most curious experience of walking with his girlfriend they looked at each other uh, this was at a music festival so you can probably imagine what the life conditions were, mm. were going on there um, and for a moment they looked through the other person's eyes back at themselves it was just a split moment but uh, you know what a curious thing and yeah. it, it just goes to show that you know there's so much that we don't know about mm. reality and human nature and just consciousness just so I know we've got only a couple of minutes but yep. the lovely story about Julian Lennon just quickly he was in Adelaide some years ago uh, some Aboriginal elders uh, turned up about 30 or 40 of them at his hotel room so we need to talk to you uh, the, the, a woman gave him a white feather a big white feather and he was blown out because his father John before he died said if if ever in the future you're you're troubled or to to, to make you feel certain that things are going well uh, a white feather will appear and to me that's another element of this, this the capacity of the human conscious in a metaphysical way to access to recognize to see to you know, to uh, be in tune with other dimensions of experience yeah absolutely mm. there was a Jesuit priest uh, who wrote some wonderful books on consciousness uh, I think back around the middle of last century his name was Pierre Teilhard de Chardin yes. and he coined no this term called the noosphere yeah. which was which was the idea that the earth itself uh, you know it has a layer of, of atmosphere mm -hmm. it has a layer of ionosphere and he uh, posited that it also has a layer of mind which he termed the noosphere a layer of mind that uh, exists around the entire planet and of course um, many people who are pushing into this second tier consciousness talk about the planet itself being an intelligent uh, being that has its own consciousness and so um, back to these direct reports that I was talking about of, of people that I've come into contact with who are experimenting with peak experiences in various ways, having this experience of uh, the, the meshing of uh, two or more people's brains uh, and and um, I'm, I'm aware of reports of this happening in, in groups of uh, you know you know some numbers as well not just with pairs of people yes. and so there's a telepathy there's a shared knowing in other words like a like shared thoughts where people are both accessing the same information at the same time and then this is verified through like talking to each other and saying did you just get that and yes I just got that and and, and uh, so there's a, a process a very down-to-earth uh, physical mm. process here of, of verifying the experience Experience. Um, and uh, this integration of self and other is occurring so there's another general trend as we go up this spiral of human evolution human development the expansion of consciousness is that the difference between 12 self and other is is, uh, <laughs> is dissolving reducing and and we're moving towards a capacity to operate in union with uh, a mesh you know of of us all together and we're seeing the early stages of this play out you know in, in layer six of course in terms of the development of science um, we're also as we push into this space we're going to see um, deeper understandings of the the electromagnetic spectrum magnetic spectrum because essentially what we're tapping into is other aspects of the electromagnetic spectrum here which carries um, information um, the knowledge that we can't normally uh, access in everyday life at the moment the nature of spin 
uh, and and uh, vortices um, mapping these new fields um, and the interaction of different fields you know what's what's actually happening when we have this brain meshing uh, you know what are the what are the physics associated with that we're going to get deeper knowledge of that and and how we can sync with others and also fall out of sync these kinds mm. of dynamics and um, and understanding this global brain space and there's so much to talk about here and there's so little time on the show unfortunately we'll come back to it though no doubt please tune in next week and as I said before you can listen to this show on our podcast which is an edited podcast at futuresense.it and uh, the each week's programs appear within a couple of days they're edited for your pleasure we're going to have to leave it there a couple of texts feeling it love that it's being talked about on radio thanks for that just mentioned this the Rumble Hall on Saturday from 1 to 6pm there's an Elderberries convention which is uh, original pathfinders of the region maybe some second tier thinkers he's saying here mm-hmm. of the Shire sharing knowledge discussing topics such as history success visions and possibilities of the Byron Shire 1 to 6 at the Rumble Hall this coming Saturday on the Great. 27th thanks Steve thanks uh, Nick we'll be back And uh, stay tuned for Pregnancy, Birth and Beyond here on BFM 99.9. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on BFM in Byron Bay, Australia at bfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.